Today in the sermon, I'm not going to talk about math, by the way, but uh, we're talking about our series in the book of Acts. We're continuing through the, the book of Acts, which is a continuation of essentially Luke's gospel that told the story of Jesus' life, and Acts tells the story of the early church, of what happened when Jesus empowered his church through the Holy Spirit, and he ends up ascending, and he's out of there, and now it's just up to us, right? But he didn't leave us orphans. He did give us the Holy Spirit. So, uh, and in our particular story today, we're going to talk about jealousy, which is what we're going to hone in on, talk about jealousy, how it comes up in our hearts, right? What stirs it up within us, and what it causes in our lives. So, I'm sure it would be a rhetorical question, and all of us would raise our hands if I asked you if you've ever experienced jealousy in your life. So I'm not even going to have us raise our hands for that, but I'm sure we've all experienced jealousy for one reason or another, where we might have been jealous uh, of somebody because of their job, right, or their income, the house that they have, the car that they drive, or the spouse that they have, how great their kids behave, or maybe you're jealous of the fact that this person's single and doesn't have any kids, and I wish that I was like that again, right? Uh, So we can be jealous for all sorts of reasons. My, my big issue for me like lately is uh, I just wish I had a car that didn't break down all the time. Like, why do other people have cars that they're not always fixing? Is it just me? Or I, I don't know. I feel like cars just run super awesome for everybody else, and I've got this one that's just a clunker falling apart. But, but it's okay. God's working on me, and he's good. And fortunately, when my car is broken, it doesn't hurt me too much because I live right here in the village. My job's in the village. Church is in the village. So... I can pretty much use these boots to get anywhere. So, um, so let's take a look at Acts uh, 13. If you're interested in a Bible, uh, Joshua uh, would be gladly able to hand you out one. Just show your hand. And uh, we're on page 789. If you happen to have the Valley Town ESV version of the Bible, you can use that. So page 789, I've also got it up here on the screen. And uh, Acts 13, 42 to 52. So we're just going to read this passage. Uh, And we're going to particularly pull out the points about jealousy today. So uh, it's continuing the story about Paul and Barnabas who have been going town to town uh, sharing about Jesus and the salvation that he brings. And they're essentially targeting primarily uh, pockets of Jewish communities all over the Roman Empire. And what they do, their tactic is they, 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 they show up at their church, essentially. They show up in the synagogue on the Sabbath, which is Saturday, and they just start talking to people about Jesus. So it's actually an interesting tactic they have. So it says, as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. So it sounds like they had such an awesome sermon. The people were like, you got to come back next week. So let's hope that today I have like a short to the point sermon, not like the last time I preached, where you guys would actually want to hear me come back sometime. So, so let's see if that happens. That's what we're hoping for. And it says, and after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. And the next Sabbath, this is so cool, this is really good news. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. So imagine, right, the gospel goes out and people are so excited about it, they're talking about it all week. Imagine if the whole valley just suddenly showed up 
to hear about Jesus the next week. That, I think we'd run out of coffee, but we'd do what we could, right? Uh, so, so the whole town shows up, and you'd think this would be great news. You'd think everyone would be excited about this. But we find out that it says, uh, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you have thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Uh, If you're not familiar with the word Gentile, it literally just means a non-Jewish person. So that's probably all of us here, unless you happen to have a a heritage or lineage uh, to the Jewish people, which is awesome if you're part of God's chosen people in that way. But fortunately, God kind of opened up his promise of salvation to all of the world once Jesus came. And just so you know, this wasn't like some new idea for the New Testament. It was prophesied all throughout the Old Testament. And actually, Paul brings it up here. He says that, uh, For the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And that's a quote from Isaiah 49.6. So just so you know, the New Testament wasn't God's last-minute plan, like, oh, man, this is really messed up here. i got to solve this problem. He kind of had this solution all along, uh, just so you're aware. And, uh, and guess who's excited about this news, right? The fact that salvation's available to the non-Jewish people. It's the Gentiles. It says, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying uh, the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. And now the Jews, right, had that jealousy in their hearts. Right? They were already speaking against Paul, and now they're acting out of that jealousy. It says, but the Jews incited the devout woman of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the district. So basically they're rallying together as many people to try to like, you know, in some cases violence, in other cases probably just harsh words, uh, but literally pushed them out of their district. But they, the disciples, shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. So they just, let's go to the next town, right? This, this city's saturated with the gospel. They've heard it. Those who needed to believe, believed. We're hitting the road because other people need to hear. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit, right? So side note there, doing what God called you to do is really exciting. I really recommend it. Uh, so, so jealousy is what I'm talking about today, uh, where we see that it's stirred up in our hearts for a variety of reasons, and we're going to analyze those. But before we do that, I've got a definition of jealousy from the Holman Bible Dictionary. It's on your little notes that you might have gotten as a handout. Uh, and it's jealousy is used in three senses in Scripture as intolerance of rivalry or unfaithfulness. So this is the kind of jealousy that the Bible says, because the Bible calls God a jealous God. It says that he's jealous for his people, right? When we go and turn away towards sin or idolatry, whatever it might be, God's jealous legitimately of that, right? He wants us to be his own. Uh, So that's what we see as case number one. 
Sense number two, it says, as a disposition suspicious of rivalry or unfaithfulness. So the mere perception that I'm in competition with someone, right, that's jealousy. They might not even realize they're in competition with me. I just think that they are and that they're my rival, so to speak. So you might see that sort of thing in the workplace. Or if, uh, you know, suspicious of unfaithfulness, that'd be like in a relationship, someone thinks that their spouse or their girlfriend or boyfriend, right, is flirting with other people and cheating on them, when in fact nothing's going on. It's just they've got this suspicion in their hearts. So that's another type of jealousy. And we're going to look at the third sense, which says, as hostility towards a rival or one believed to enjoy an advantage. All right, so this third type of jealousy in the Bible is most closely related with the concept of envy. All right, in terms of (coughs) sin, jealousy is a sin of the heart. It's not a sin of action. And in fact, if you think about the Ten Commandments, it's most closely related to that, that of the Tenth Commandment found in Exodus twenty seventeen, where it says, uh, let's see, thou shall not covet your neighbor's stuff. I just abbreviate that list, stuff, right? Thou shall not covet your neighbor's stuff. And this commandment, think about this, is actually unprecedented throughout history. There is no culture that ever set laws regarding what goes on inside someone's heart or mind, right? If if you're a government, you're interested in controlling the the actions or behavior of your people. You can't control what's going on inside them. And even if a government wanted to do that, how would they enforce it, right? So this is just going to the point that Israel, the nation of Israel, when they received the Ten Commandments, That it was God that was backing it. God was the one that formed them because God's the only one that could enforce some sort of law like this. And God is going beyond any other government or nation or religion in the sense that he actually draws a line where he says sin starts in the heart. And that's what we see with this in uh, this 10th commandment. So so jealousy is a sin of the heart. So you might think, why does it matter? Why is God so upset about this? I'm not hurting anybody, right? And it turns out that jealousy, in fact, does hurt us primarily. We're wasting a lot of time and energy and mental effort just wrestling in our heads, trying to figure out, why does that person have something I don't have, right? And it's not ever solving anything. In fact, it doesn't even affect the person we're jealous of because they don't know we're stewing. They don't know we're wrestling with all these issues in our heart. It's just causing us a bunch of grief. So that's first and foremost. Secondly, it it leads to other sins. The 10th commandment, right? If if you covet someone's wife, that leads to adultery, right? If if you uh, covet someone's property, that leads to stealing, right? It leads to other sins and the breaking of other parts of God's law, essentially. So, So it leads to other sins. And in fact, that's what we saw in the story in Acts when the Jews filled with jealousy in their hearts, they now start acting out on it. So God realizes that sin starts in the heart and ends up kind of bubbling forth into our public life. So uh, another reason that jealousy is an issue is, this is, I think, the biggest key, it accuses God of not being just. Jealousy is the belief that God is not being fair in my life and he's giving someone else something that I deserve. Jealousy is essentially blasphemous at the root 
claiming that God is not good. So it's, it's a big issue, right? That's huge. So we are accountable to God who knows our hearts. He knows who we are, and jealousy is a sinful attitude. So I've got a, a series of things of, of places, I guess, in which jealousy occurs or environments where jealousy would bubble up in our lives. And on our notes, I've got, I just tried to keep it open-ended today, not fill in the blank, uh, where I've got the first question is, what are three things that cause jealousy in my heart? So feel free to write that down, or if you think your neighbor's spying on you, maybe just think about them in your head so that way they don't, they don't know. If you're not comfortable, like, like you just cover it. Um, so that's, that's the first thing. So I'm going to go through like a series of things where jealousy occurs. And the first area that I feel jealousy occurs in is where there's perceived ownership where there is actually only stewardship. All right? Perceived ownership where there's actually only stewardship, right? If I'm jealous of something that I think I own, but I don't actually own it, I'm going to end up acting out on that in wrong ways. An example in my life about that is uh, Griffin, my youngest son, just turned one this week, so he had his birthday. And Everett, this is the first time he, as a two-year-old, sees his brother getting gifts that he is not getting gifts at the same time, right? It's not like Christmas or something. So for Everett, he could have had the belief, this toy is mine, but it's not his. In fact, if Griffin's letting him, sh- right, sharing it with him or using it, hi, Everett, uh, that, it's just stewardship. It's on loan. It's not actually his, all right? Or if, right, I, I, I rent my apartment, but if I start living in that place as though I owned it, my landlord will probably have some words with me at some point if I start, you know, tearing down walls and doing all sorts of reconstruction and remodeling, he'd probably have something to say about that because it's not mine. It's something that I'm a steward of. It's something I'm renting. It's someone else's to begin with. And a story in the Bible, I actually got some bonus content here down at the bottom of your sheet. You might have noticed that. That's just my veiled attempt of giving you homework, but trying to put it in a, a prettier package there for you. So uh, I'm going to talk about Saul and David, and their story takes place in 1 Samuel 18 through 31, and it's this tale between Saul and David. And Saul was a God-ordained king of Israel, all right? He was the king of the nation of Israel, and God actually chose him to be king. So he's God-ordained, purposed for a reason to be king, but at some point in Saul's life, he ends up getting off track. He ends up doing things his own way and disobeying God in multiple cases. And David is this young teenage boy who is ordained, anointed to be the next king by the prophet. All right? And David starts serving in Saul's court. He ends up going to battle for Saul. Right? He defeats Goliath. You might have heard of that story. He defeats a whole bunch of the Philistines and this and that. And, and David's running around getting a lot of victories for Saul. And now Saul's starting to have this jealousy, this competitive attitude stirred up in him. And it's, it's topped off by the fact that it, it, it turns out David becomes a national hero. And some of the women of the city of Jerusalem actually make this song about him. It's kind of weird. But uh, they sing this song. They say, Saul has killed his thousands. Well, David kills his tens of thousands. Right? And this song is so big, it's like, what does the fox say on YouTube last year? 
Everyone's posting it on their Facebook page and giving it likes. And Saul is just in his palace and he's just filled with jealousy. Who is this young guy that everyone loves when they should be loving me? I deserve this attention. Right? This is my kingdom. But in fact, the nation of Israel, the kingdom of Israel, wasn't Saul's. It was God's. And Saul was merely a steward of this kingdom. And he'd gotten off fact where he started thinking, I'm going to run things my way. And he was just a steward. It wasn't his to own. So he believed that he should be able to do what he wanted. He believed that he deserved the ladies singing about him and everything. But he didn't, right? So this perceived ownership really ended up messing with Saul to the point where David's actually a bit of a musician, kind of like the folks up front here, not presently, but moments ago. Uh, and David would play in the court, right, of uh, King Saul. And Saul would be so jealous and angry that he would grab his spear and just throw it at David trying to kill him. And David just like playing, and just like, you know, pins into the wall, you know, sort of thing. Like, and David dodges the spear. And for some reason, I don't know why, this happens actually twice. I don't know why David went back for that gig the second time when he got that sort of response. But, but the idea is Saul actually is so jealous he tries to kill him. So the jealousy was a sin in the first place, but it ended up acting out and forming into other sins of action. So another area where jealousy occurs is where we have the belief that we deserve something that someone else has. All right? We believe that we deserve what they got. And sometimes we say things like, I, I deserve to be happy, right? Or I, I deserved that promotion. Or I deserve a car that doesn't break down, right? I mean, guys, come on. I deserve that. And the story I, I see in the Bible about this is, is between Peter and John in John 21. And, and Peter and John, they're both apostles, followers of Jesus. And Jesus ends up talking to Peter uh, they're by the lake. They just went fishing. John's probably just hanging out, like, eating, eating some fish. And, uh, and Peter and Jesus are having this conversation, and Jesus tells Peter about his future. And he tells Peter that there will come a day when people will bind you and take you where you don't want to go. There's going to come a day where you're going to die for me, Peter, is essentially what he's saying. And, and Peter, you know, despising this calling... Right? I mean, who, who wants to pray to God and be like, Jesus, what, what do you mean for me to do? What did you purpose me for? And, you know, his response is, you're going you're gonna to die a pretty great death for me. It's like, uh, can I get a second opinion? Uh, you know, what, what's, what's option number two? You know, what, what, what else could you call me for? And, and Peter despised this. And then he looks over at John there just eating his fish sticks. And, and this is what he says. It picks up in verse 21. And it says, when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? What about this guy? How's he going to die? Why doesn't he have this tough calling? Why can't it happen to him? And Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? He basically says, None of your business. Right? I called you for something. I might call him for something else. And then he gets to the point. He says, You follow me. So Jesus gets to the point. And, and what I want to point out here is that, that Peter, he wanted an easier life. He didn't like the calling that God had for him. 
And, or at the very least, he just wanted John to experience suffering too. He deserves this suffering. Or I deserve the easy life like he's getting. And in fact, what we'll find out later is none of us deserve the good things God gives us. But we'll wait to get there. So it is not for us to decide what struggles we might face. It is for us to decide how we respond in a godly way in the midst of them. It's for us to decide how we follow Jesus in the midst of the struggles we have. All right, some people, we we all have different sins. We all have different victories that we have. We all have different strengths and weaknesses. And sometimes you might think like, why do I have to struggle with alcoholism? Why couldn't I just struggle with pride? That sounds like an easy sin. Alcoholism hurts me and my family. I don't want this. Why can't I have the easy life like so-and-so? You know, we, we compare our lives to other people. We compare the calling that God has for us. We compare the sin that we struggle with, and that leads to jealousy. Another area is insecurity. Personal weakness, our, our personal failures, often result in us looking at people who are more successful in those areas than we are. And it stirs up jealousy in our hearts. The story I think about is Cain and Abel in Genesis 4, uh, which is also on the bonus content. Uh, Read it later. It's good stuff. And Cain and Abel are actually brothers. In fact, it's even likely that they're twins. And each of them bring an offering to God. And God accepts and recognizes Abel's offering. But he actually refuses and rejects Cain's. And as a result, Cain has this insecurity because he had a failure. He didn't do what God asked him to because God didn't just have some like arbitrary rule and didn't tell Cain about it. He would have made it clear to him. Cain should have known what the right thing to do was. And as a result, Cain has this jealousy of his brother. He wanted the recognition that his brother got. He despises the fact that he had a failure and he's insecure about that. And oftentimes where we are insecure, it gives us potential for jealousy. And in this story, it doesn't end well. Cain actually ends up murdering Abel, and it's the first murder on the planet Earth. So it's, it's jealousy leads to other sins. So God is interested in stopping it at the root. Another area that jealousy occurs in is competition. Right? And it can't even be just the perceived competition with someone else. A story I think about is Jesus and his disciples in Luke 9. And Jesus and his disciples, they're probably walking down the road, and Jesus is just doing his thing, and his disciples are having this conversation. They just had a really good experience earlier in that chapter where they're casting out demons and healing dudes. And, and so they get in this conversation like, so guys, who do you think's the best of us? Did you see me cast that demon out yesterday? That was pretty awesome. I'm pretty great. I'm probably the greatest among us, right? And then, you know, maybe someone else speaks up. Actually, I think I'm pretty great. Did you see how that that lame man got healed? That was pretty amazing. You got to admit, like, you cast out a demon. I healed a lame man. That's way better. Like, I was lame from birth. Come on, right? And they're having this conversation, and Jesus is overhearing this, probably just thinking, like, these guys are just missing the point by a mile, right? So the disciples are in, in competition with one another. And this is where we pick up in Luke 9, 46. It says, An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning in their hearts, took a child and put him by his side. So Jesus pulls this kid over, right? 
And he said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you is the one who is great. So the the disciples were wasting a lot of time and energy competing with each other. When in fact they should have been serving as a team to those who needed to hear the gospel, to those who needed healing, right? Serving the kids. And uh, I could go into a side note here about Valleytown kids and new space and K through five and that Jesus basically says the most important thing you can do is serve kids. Uh, But I won't go there right now. So, uh, So after the disciples get corrected on this, right, for competing with one another, then John speaks up and he says, Master, I saw someone casting out demons in your name and I tried to stop him because he doesn't hang out with us. He doesn't follow you like we do. So basically saying like, all right, so we can't compete against each other for who's the greatest. But we can all agree we're, we're, we're better than that guy. Like that guy's not even following Jesus. Like we're, we're hanging out with Jesus, you know. And, and Jesus corrects this as well. He says, uh, do not stop him for the one who is not against you is for you. So the disciples, they stopped competing with each other for a moment, but are now competing with other churches or ministries. All right? They may have been thinking that, you know, we can't settle this, but, but let's at least rally as a team and, and do better than everyone else. We'll do better than the other team. We'll do better than the other church. We'll, we'll have more people come here. We'll have better music. And, and that's not what Jesus is about. In fact, Jesus wants us to, to support and promote churches that are preaching the gospel, right? We want to see more churches planted. We want to see other churches succeed in their vision for the gospel going forth, all right? So that's what we're interested. That's what Jesus is interested in as well. Another area that jealousy can occur in is lack of contentment, right? The belief that what I have isn't enough. Or just thinking, I'm not very happy with what I have, right? I, I, I drew the short stick in life. I don't have the nice house. I don't have the nice car. I don't have the marriage that I wanted or whatever the case may be. And just lack of contentment. And another area is comparison. When we are discontent with where we are, we start thinking about, look what they have. Look what she has. Why can't I have that? And in comparison, it actually spurs on jealousy. And I'm actually not going to go far into comparison, but I have a recommendation, a little hyperlink out to a a sermon series by Andy Stanley that he just preached last month called The Comparison Trap. It's really good. I think it's three or four sermons. Check it out. It's a good, uh, if you want to go down that rabbit trail. So uh, some solutions to jealousy. All right, this is question number two. What three solutions to jealousy in my heart should I pursue? So what things need fixing in me? Where should I focus my strength so I stop feeling the way I do? Because we all feel jealous at times. So the first thing I've got is gain the proper perspective that what I have is not actually mine. Right? In order to combat this mentality of ownership over everything in my life, I need to get the perspective that this life that God's given me is not mine, it's his. I'm merely a steward. Right? All of my time isn't for me to decide what to do with. God called each of us for a purpose and a reason. 
And we will find most satisfaction when we are in God's will for our lives. God has a purpose for every moment that you encounter in your life. Every circumstance you find yourself in, God has predestined that moment to happen to you. And he's equipped you to succeed in it. He believes in you that much. Another area that we need to improve on with this perspective is our finances. Some of us end up getting this pride of of self-sufficiency, of believing, I worked hard for this, I deserve to be able to buy this. Or I earned the house that I live in. I earned the car that I drive. And in fact, the Bible says in Deuteronomy that God even gave us the ability to obtain wealth. So we can't even take credit for that. God enables us with our skills and abilities to gain wealth to earn a living. So we can't take credit for that. That's also God-given. So he's steward, given us stewardship over our abilities, over our strengths, and we want to use them for his glory. And oftentimes when we have this mentality about our money, we often want God to bless us, but we don't want God telling us what to do with it. Right? Like, just, just give me the money, God, and I'll see you next Sunday. Right? Like, you know, whatever the case may be. It, God is the one in charge. God's the one in control over all of us. So we need to start acting like it. Another area where we could solve our jealousy problem is that we need to recognize that the good things we have are not deserved. And this one, I think, is the hardest one to wrap our minds around. But in James 1.17, it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So in fact, every good thing that's ever happened to us is a gift. That means it's unearned. That means we didn't deserve that gift. And not only in our lives, the good things that we have going on in us and in our circumstances— but also in the lives of others. So the person that you're jealous of, they also didn't deserve the good things happening to them. All right? So it's a gift to them. It's a gift to me. Whatever I have, it's a gift. So I can't have this expectation that I deserve something. In fact, biblically speaking, if we deserve anything, it's God's wrath. We've, bro- we've broken his laws. We've broken his commandments. We, we live sinful lives. We hurt ourselves. We hurt other people. We deserve God's wrath. But fortunately, in the gift-giving nature that God has, he also gives us salvation. And he exchanges righteousness for our sin. It's a pretty good deal. Just so you know, we won out on that deal. It's, you want to take that deal. Uh, another area to overcome uh, jealousy in your life is to get your confidence from Jesus. It'll help us deal with our insecurities and our weaknesses. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 3. He says, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. So we overcome our insecurities by finding out what God really thinks about us. If we read the Bible, we'll find out how much God loves us and how much he purposed us for. And we won't be insecure about the fact that we're different than everyone else because God made us different than everyone else with a different calling and a different function. 
God purposed us for that reason. And not only did he make us for these reasons, he equips us for these reasons. He equips us for every good work that he's predestined for us to do. So we can actually draw our strength from God. And in our weakness, we can find strength when we're relying on God, usually better than when we try to stand in our own strength. Right? It's when we're most dependent on God that we can actually accomplish the most for him. Another way to combat jealousy is, and actually I think this is true with most sin that's in our hearts, is we combat wrong thinking, not with just correcting the way we think, but with acting out in a right way. So you can change the way you feel or think about something if you act contrary to what you're feeling. Uh, And this is the idea, we should give sacrificially to see others succeed. So instead of competing with people, instead of having this rivalry, I actually should be doing whatever I can to help see someone else succeed in what God's called them to do. I see this in uh, a biblical example with John the Baptist. Right? He's this guy, he's the predecessor of Jesus, not in the sense that he was a, a Messiah, but he was just the guy that was saying, hey everybody, Jesus is coming, repent. Right? That was his main message. And John had some followers. He was just this dude out in the desert uh, wearing camel skins, and he was baptizing people, hence John the Baptist. And uh, he had publicly declared, when Jesus showed up at one of his church services, I guess, uh, he publicly declared and said, behold the Lamb of God. This is the guy. This is the next person coming, right? And some of his followers left and started to follow Jesus. That was actually a good thing. So we pick this up in John 3, 26. Some of, his, some of John's disciples come talk to John. And they say, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going after him. They're basically saying, John, you're losing church members. They're leaving to go to his church. He's got something better going on. What are you going to do about this? And John answered and said, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. So once again, John realized any good thing going on is from God. It's from heaven. And one of the coolest things he ever could have said is in verse 30. And it demonstrates how humble the man John was when he says this about Jesus. He says, He must increase, but I must decrease. John was willing to take a personal loss for the sake of seeing his competition succeed. And oftentimes, if we're experiencing jealousy towards someone, we should do what we can to see them succeed in their goal. And that's going to heal the jealousy in our hearts real quick when we start acting contrary to how we feel. So, another way to combat jealousy is to be content with what we have. And 1 Timothy 6 talks a lot about rich people, poor people, and it comes to this conclusion about, uh, there, there was this doctrine going around that if you're really godly, God's going to bless your life. That, that some people were believing that godliness was a means of gain, right? That this was a, a financial benefit that they could just, I'm going to do what God wants, and then he's going to give me everything I want, the house, the Ferrari, everything, right? And, and this is combated in this passage. It says, 
that you know, godliness is not a gain in itself, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. So we should be thankful for the good things that God gives us. We should be appreciative for those things and demonstrate that, right, I want to want the things I have instead of want the things I don't have, because then I'll have what I want, in a sense. Uh, and one of the cool things here is it says that it's, it's great gain if you live a life that's godly and you practice contentment. And I think this happens twofold. One, God does give you more. He can trust you with more stuff. He'll give you more things. But also, you've lowered your expectation. You've become thankful for less. So you've created a greater margin between what you're expecting and what you're getting. So it's a win-win and twofold, right? You've reduced your expectation by being content, and you've also increased the blessing on your life by serving God. So it's a really good deal. So in closing, I want to look at this passage in James, which talks about the worst-case scenario if we don't ever deal with the jealousy in our hearts. Because when it comes down to it, you might think, why do we need to hear about jealousy? Uh, that's not going to affect how we, we preach at church or how we have our services or how the kids get served or how the town perceives us. But in fact, it, it's a huge problem. And James addresses it this way. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy... And selfish ambition in your hearts, so selfish ambition would be striving for your own gain, competing with other people, stepping on whoever it takes to get to your next victory. This is what he says. Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So if we don't deal with the jealousy in our hearts, if we don't allow God the Holy Spirit in us, convicting us of the areas that we have wrong thinking in, the things that we're doing wrong, if we don't allow God to prune away the areas in our lives that are unfruitful and in fact harmful to us and those around us, it says that jealousy and selfish ambition will lead to chaos, disorder. We'll be a people that are running in all sorts of different directions because we're all out for number one ourselves. And the other thing it says is that every vile practice will be present in that church, in that group. Because jealousy, a sin of the heart, leads to sins of action. So sin doesn't start with action. Sin starts with a thought that is dwelt upon too long. And that's why God has his law at the level of the heart instead of at the level of action. Because he knows we have to deal with it at the root. So allow the Holy Spirit to do that in us today. So this is how we respond to the word of God. Uh, one, we're going to worship God in a moment. We're going to sing a couple songs. 
And this does a couple things. One, it puts everything in right perspective. We stop looking at ourselves. We stop looking at other people and what they have. And we start looking to God, the one who is so good to us and gave us all of these blessings. All right? So that's why we worship God. He's a good God. And we don't believe anything otherwise. Another thing we do is is we give. We're going to have a moment during this next song that some buckets will be passed. We'll receive an offering. We give because God gave to us first. And we want to see his deliverance, his love proclaimed to other, other people, other places. We want to see other people set free. And God gave us his best in his son. And in fact, withholds no good thing from us, the Bible says. And lastly, we go. For some of us, that means we're going to go out this week to our families and friends and coworkers and share the love of God with them. Right? That's the mobilized part of our mission here at Valley Town. For others of us, there are people in this building that are going to be leaving town. They're going to be going to start other churches. They're going to help other ministries succeed in their mission. And that's a good thing. That's a great thing. There are people in our church that are missionaries. They're called to not just leave town, but to leave the country to bring the gospel to people who don't yet know the love of God. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that you came down to live as one of us, that you experienced every temptation known to man, but yet did it without sin. But as a result of experiencing that temptation, you know what it's like to be us. We have issues that tempt us in our hearts, but yet we take it further than you did. We take it to the point of sin. We dwell upon things. We compare. We we battle with each other. We strive unnecessarily for things that we don't deserve. And if we would pursue you and your kingdom and your righteousness, you take care of all of the rest. You give us every good and perfect gift. So I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would liberally be at work in our hearts today. That you would correct the wrong thinking, that we would become more and more like Jesus. We desire to see great change in us, the church, so that we would be a greater contrast to the darkness in this world. We want to be a people who are known for for order, as well as a people who are known to overcome every vile practice in their lives. We thank you, God, for all that you've done. We give you the glory today. In Jesus' name, amen.